<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, kid. Oh, really? Love is his ass. Love. Too weak a word. Stay back. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as a Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight, Best Picture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. And today joining me is Kristen Lopez. Hello, everybody. Kristen, 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 Kristen. Oh, Kristen, how's your how are you how's your week been? How are you doing? B- busy. <laughs> you mind telling us all why? Uh, I was at the 2017 TCM Classic Film Festival. Ooh, goody! <laughs> By all means, share. Um, I it was amazing. It's always amazing. I've been. This is my fourth festival that I covered, so got to see a lot of wonderful films from the 30s, 40s, and 70s, predominantly. Those are kind of the three eras I was in. Got to listen to some fantastic people like Michael Douglas and Peter Bogdanovich talk about their careers. Uh, Got to meet Edgar Wright, which was pretty phenomenal. I, I was very surprised that he was there. He was attending the fest as just a fan that got to introduce a couple movies. So it was an experience unlike any other. That is uh, pretty awesome, actually. And I'm very, very jealous that you got to meet uh, Sir Edgar. Um, I'm a little scattershot right now, but I'm going to ask you a quick question right here on the spot. Uh, In honor of Michael Balhaus, who passed away this week at the age of 81, what is your favorite film that he shot? I would actually have to look at IMDb to tell you that. Let's let's put it this way. Uh, pretty much almost all Scorsese films, except for the ones that look like they're shot by Robert Richardson. That doesn't help me at all. Um, <laughs> uh, well, he did he did uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? Yes, he did. Okay, well, I'm just going to say that one, because that's got some evocative imagery there, and I remember a lot of people posting stuff when uh, he passed. So, yeah, that's I'm sure somebody's going to say... This is proof that not only is Kristen a horrible feminist lesbian weirdo, but um, she also doesn't know film. So there you go. I'm just going to say Dracula. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, for myself, and I know that this might be a little bit like, oh, like what? Um, I actually really, really like his work on Gangs of New York. Like, Oh, that's a good one. A lot. I think mainly because there are two images in that movie that I don't think I'll ever be able to uh, – uh, I'll ever be able to erase from my mind. One of them is the close-up of uh, the glass uh, eye of the American Eagle on Daniel Day Lewis's uh, face, 
And the other one is actually Daniel Day-Lewis again, sitting in the rocking chair wrapped in the American flag when he's talking to Leonardo DiCaprio on the bed. Just that that image of him sit, sitting in that room uh, wrapped in that flag, I think is just, for me, it's one of the most iconic poses I've ever seen in a film. Now, uh, moving away from that, like I said, a little all over the place, I thought we would start it off today um, with questions from the fans. Uh, this one here is from Jet, Jet5459. Any news about Annihilation coming out this year or in 2018? Yeah, it's not coming out this year. Yeah. Now, uh, you're going to be mad at me. Um, I had an opportunity to see the film, and I did not go see it. You go to hell, Matt Niglia. You go to hell. How dare you turn that down? In my defense, I already had prepaid tickets uh, to a show. Uh, you I... StubHub that shit and you go see it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, like, I paid for these tickets in advance. So I, I you wanted me to sell them? Yes, I, I don't care if you had Hamilton tickets. Good lord. <laughs> well, apparently the movie can't be that great because it is being moved to 2018 and they're holding all of these advanced screenings uh, for it, asking for and audiences. And none of them are in my on. town. What gives? Yeah, well, I don't know what to tell you in regards <sighs> to that. But I know you and I have talked about this on the show before. Um, but as far as the second part of this question here, um, what are the movies you are looking forward to most in 2017? Um, I can tell you right now, one of them will be actually covered uh, later on when we discuss the trailer for it. That is uh, Catherine Bigelow's uh, Detroit, which I don't want to get into so much here. But of course, the other film uh, and talking about Mr. Dangle Day-Lewis before um, is the untitled... Paul Thomas Anderson fashion uh, drama film starring the mighty Daniel Day-Lewis himself. Well, so, yeah, Annihilation would have been on my my list. I think it was actually on my three when we talked about anticipated movies at the end of the year. Um, So it's just automatically going up to my number one in 2018. But uh, for me, I'm definitely waiting for The Beguiled. Yeah. Sofia Coppola is my girl. I cannot wait. To see this, um, and I did already make my Thanksgiving plans around the release of Call Me By Your Name. So those are kind of like the two that I am counting down the days with bated breath for. Speaking of The Beguiled, uh, going to make a splash at Cannes this year, actually. So yes. we're going to hear some word about that. Uh, Wonderstruck also will be uh, premiering at Cannes. Uh, films by uh, Michael Hanukkah uh, will also be there. Uh, you guys ready for this? I'm going to do my best. Michelle has an Havana Vicious. Yes, I, I nailed it. Nailed it. I thought it was Hashivinikis. Whatever. Uh, uh. I, hey, listen, I listened to his name all throughout that 2011 award season. That is the, the number one time that I heard it said the most was exactly how I just said it. So don't ruin it for me. <laughs> but in any event, though, um, he's got a film coming. Um, I, I, I honestly can't remember the name of it. Just showing everybody how... How bad I am at reporting all this news, um, but yeah, can is uh, can's pretty much been announced at this point, so we can expect to see um, some great films along the horizon, so to speak. Was there anything at Can that stood out to you other than the Beguiled? No. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> In any event, though, let's uh, go to another question here from Matt St. Clair, Film Guy six one nine. Thank you, Matt, as always, for sending in your questions. We're going to have fun with this one, Kristen. And I think you're going to have plenty to say. Name an actor who has won an Oscar 
for what is their best performance. Oh, God. I'm going to raise my hand immediately and say Robert De Niro and Raging Bull. It's like one of the greatest performances I've ever committed to celluloid. Oh, God. I... I'm on the spot here. I'm trying to think of like who's one best actor. Uh, what, what about what about Vivian Lee for a streetcar? Oh well, yeah, it's. Or it's or a you one of those Gone with the Wind? Uh, oh, people. you know I hate Gone with the Wind. Um, All right then. <laughs> um, I mean, if we're gonna go actress or actor, see, this is the problem with putting me on the spot with these questions. Um, well, I okay. If we're gonna go actor, I would say Jeremy Irons for um, Reversal of Fortune. That's his best role. Yes. Um, so that that's definitely and yes, I'm biased. I don't care. Um, so that no, would, no, but it but it is his best. It though. is his so, best I mean, role. You, I mean, you've come answered on. the question. Um, I'd also probably say to go to go a little uh, further back, but uh, Burt Lancaster for Elmer Gantry. I know a lot of Ooh. people would say possibly. Um, what is the other uh, sweet small success? But I, I prefer Elmer Gantry. I think that was perfect for him. Um, actress, Sweet smell of success would have been my vote. Yeah, um, but I think Elmer Gantry, he's really good in that one. Um, actress, you'd have to come back to me. I mean, there's there's plenty uh, for actress. And I mean, Charlize Theron, Monster. Yeah, yeah. She's never topping that. No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um. Uh, what, what about what about someone like Colin Firth, the King's Speech? Or did you think he was better in um, a I always man? I say Colin Firth is good in, like, Belmont. Like, that's my good. I haven't seen a sing, uh, single man yet. Oh, okay. All right. I know. It's on my list. Um, actress, I would probably say uh, Judy Holliday for Born Yesterday. Ooh. Yeah. I, I got to rewatch that at TCM, and she is so so goddamn good unfortunately it ended up like typecasting her because that's all she played um after this but um maybe also elizabeth taylor for who's afraid of virginia wolf oh i gotta give you that one another actress who just kind of always played that character after a while but really great um is it is it cliche to say he fledger in the dark knight i would say yes because i don't think the dark knight is his best broke back broke back yeah, I mean, would you give the Oscar to Heath Ledger over um, Philip Seymour Hoffman that year? Yes. Wow. <laughs> so wait, would you have Philip Seymour Hoffman win it for Doubt then, the year of uh, The Dark Knight? Uh, you know, maybe. I'm not big on Doubt at all. I barely remember it, so... Because a lot of people believe that the only person that was um, close in competition the Ledger that year was either Josh Brolin and Milk... I would have given it to Brolin for Milk. A, because I'm kind of biased, and B, because I genuinely think that, that that's his best, that's Josh Brolin's best role ever. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I poor Philip Seymour Hoffman would probably get an Oscar, like, either way earlier or not at all in my in my dream uh, Oscar race. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of answers to this question. Rarely does the Oscars ever get it right. It's always about timing. Yeah. Um, it's it's very rare that a performance comes along that is just so towering that it completely dominates uh, the field. I mean, you know, another example of which I mean, this is this is like a no brainer. Monique and Precious. Yeah, it, you're just she's never topping that in in whatever she does after that, and. 
there was nobody else that year was that was gonna top that either. <laughs> you know, just steamrolled the whole competition that exactly. Year. And and Precious is one of those that I don't think. I don't think it aged when it came out well, and it certainly it hasn't aged well now. Oh no, I haven't re I haven't rewatched it since the year uh, it came out. So that that just yeah, that just proves the point right there. All right, another question here from Toby Hill, Sled Camera Seventeen on Twitter. If you could change one acting win since two thousand to another nominee. Who would you change? Oh, to another nominee, not somebody who wasn't nominated yeah. at all. So of the Shit. five in that category, yep. Take a winner's Oscar away. Give it away to somebody else. Who do you give it to? Since 2000. Since 2000. Okay. So. I, 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 I'm I already ready with mine, so I'm going to just say it. Uh, take away Jim Broadbent's Oscar for Iris. Give it to Ian McKellen for... Uh, Fellowship of the Ring. I, I'm going to go from 01, too, because I was going to say take Halle Berry's and give it to Nicole Kidman. <laughs> oh, from Moulin Rouge? From Moulin Rouge. Oh, Kristen, I love you for that. Oh. I, I mean, and I've seen Monsters Ball. I know that, that Halle Berry, that was an important win, pol- like, politically, from, from a, a racial standpoint, and that's fantastic. But Monsters Ball is another movie that has not aged very well at all. Um, and... Nicole Kidman got it for the hours. I know the next year is an apology. Um, but that's exactly why Julianne Moore should have won it for Far From Heaven. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, by that same token, in 02, I'd take away Nicole Kidman's for the hours and give it to Julianne Moore for Far From Heaven. And then we take away Julianne Moore's Oscar away for Still Alice and we give it to... Rosamund Pike, Gone Girl. Oh, really? Well, that's who, okay, I, that's, that's, that's who I yeah, would pick, personally. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I was also going to say if we could take away Jennifer Lawrence's Oscar for Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, God. Um, and give it to, uh, I would give it to Jay Chaz. Yes. Yes. I know a lot of people were saying Emmanuel Riva was coming on I was going to say, yeah, year. I know Emmanuel Riva, but I didn't see him more, so I can't really just you know, give it to her. <laughs> no, but the, I, I agree that I thought Jessica Chastain was, and no pun intended because of the color of her hair, I thought she was fire in that movie. I loved her in Zero Dark Dirty. So, and I don't think yeah. I don't think she's topped that uh, since then. Oh, well, wait, I take that back. I am so sorry, people, because I even said it on the podcast. Miss Sloan is Jessica Chastain's best performance, in my humble opinion. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I I still I still stand for most violent years her best. Yes, I remember actually when we were talking about her, you you said exactly those words. Yeah. Um. And then if we're gonna go actor, yeah, I take away Philip Seymour Hoffman's and give it to Heath Ledger in in '05. Um. And you know, no, I'm not gonna be mean to you because I know you love Daniel Day Lewis, but I was gonna say I did really like Eastern Promises in 07. I was gonna, I was gonna <laughs> um, say, listen, he's got three. I don't feel so bad if you take away one. I mean, I but then I haven't seen There Will Be Blood, so I'd hate to take away from somebody whose movie I haven't seen. Um, I don't know what I'm more upset about you over uh, Lawrence of Arabia or There uh, Will Be Blood. Both of these are on like, my my 2017 watch list um, in in some form. Um, so hopefully. Hopefully, I will get to one of them. Um, I'd also say 2013, Matthew McConaughey. Mm, who? Give it to either. Well, I could say Leo, but then uh, you have 12 Years a Slave, Chai Weddle, which would be great. I 
I would give it a two Chew and yeah. Tell as well. Um, I'd also say we need to take away Eddie Redmayne's Oscar. Because Yep, and give it to Michael Give Keaton, it to right? anybody. I hate the theory of everything. <laughs> that movie irritates me. Um yeah, give it to Michael Keaton. Hell, give it to the other English guy that year. Give it to Benedict Cumberbatch. I don't care. I just really don't like the theory of anything. Or everything. So it gets nothing. I'm really curious. What else is on your uh, 2017 watch list? I have a single man on there. Um, I know I have Eyes of Laura Mars. I have a mix of, like, kind of genre cinema um, and actual, like, important films. So, you know, I have a single man next to, like, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, um, <laughs> which which everybody has told me I, I should see. Um, I have the, the Godfather 2 on there. <laughs> Ooh, Kristen. Yeah, uh, Mulholland Drive. Is, you gotta, you gotta keep your voice. Yeah, down. Mulholland Drive, <laughs> uh, Citizen Kane. What the fuck? I've never seen Citizen Kane. Yeah, I know. I get yelled at all the time for that one. Um, Stop. You're done. I'm cutting you off before I get really <laughs> enraged right now. I was going to say you could get really mad at what I was going to say next. No, no, no. I'm good. I don't even want to know. Tell me off air so that I don't, like, you know, just break <laughs> all the equipment in my room right now. Um... For me, I, I have to watch I, – I have a lot of 90s films um, that I want to uh, watch because I'm, I'm determined to watch uh, films from the year in which I was born, 1990, um, up until um, the present day. So I'm, I'm doing pretty well on the present day. I see pretty much almost everything that's noteworthy. But uh, going back to like those early 90s periods, there's a lot of films that I have not seen that I really want to uh, check out. For example, I've never seen The Sweet Hereafter. Um, I've never seen that either. I've never seen Secrets and Lies. Never seen it. Uh, which was Mike Lee's follow-up to uh, Naked. Uh, what else have I not seen? I have not seen uh, Quiz Show. Uh, Neat. And that's on my 2017 list. Nice, nice. And I have also not seen, going back a little bit more, uh, Fried Green Tomatoes. Yeah, none of this is weird to me so far. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, I've I've seen a lot. I don't know what to say. And uh, oh, um, I have uh, the double life of uh, Veronique. Ver- Veronique. Veronique. I, I, I don't know how to say it, but how do you say? Veronique. Veronique. Okay, I've watched uh, I've watched Decalogue and uh, the Three Colors ch- uh, trilogy, so I'm pretty excited to uh, catch that one. So. I understand there's a criterion out there. I, need I to love that I collection. feel older than you right now. <laughs> hey, listen, you're only by a couple of years. It's not it's not that big of a difference here. You're 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 a dude though. It's okay. As a lady, I'm like inching closer to like vinegar level right here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> vinegar level. We're moving beyond fine wine into just like vinegar territory, which I think starts about like 30. Um, I don't remember did, if we changed the rules uh, of society at what point like a woman dies. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Now, before we get into uh, the news of the week, we have two trailers to review here. So I want to review one of them now. And it's, you know, kind of a big deal. It's, you know, it's, well, it's Star Wars. It's it's Episode Eight, The, the Last Jedi, uh, a film which I am uh, extremely excited about. Kristen, not so much. And now, now remind, <laughs> remind me again, that's because um, you didn't see these films until later on in your life. Yeah, I didn't see the, the first three films until, uh, when did Force Awakens come out? 20- uh, tw- 2016. 2016. 
2015. Um, so yeah, I didn't see them until 2015. <laughs> and I only saw the, the original three. Um, so I didn't see the prequels or anything like that. So You don't need to see the prequels. You are so good. That's what I've been told. So um, yeah, I came to this very late in life. Um, so you don't have that nostalgia, like geek out factor no, that many people no. have. No, which, you know, I get told that about a lot of things. I've never, I didn't see the Indiana Jones movies until I was about 17, 18. Um, which is, which is normal to a certain degree. I think those films are a little bit more mature, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I didn't come to a lot of movies until late in life. Um, I grew up on, you know, Girly Fair and Pulp Fiction <laughs> and The Terminator. Um, those were my things. <laughs> so, so yeah, I have no nostalgic connection. It is impossible to go blind into these movies, though, because they are so enmeshed in popular culture. So yeah. I can't say that I don't know the stories because I do. I just didn't actually see them play out until, you know, two years ago. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, thoughts on Force Awakens? Um, it looks like a Star Wars movie. No, no, no. Force Awakens. Oh, it looks the same thing. It still looks like a Star Wars movie. Um, <laughs> but it's an entertaining Star Wars movie. I was entertained by it. Um, I went to the 9 a.m. showing with my best friend. Um, I watched it. It's enjoyable. I was gifted it for my birthday. Um, so I own it. It's a Star Wars movie. It's a Star Wars movie that happens to have Oscar Isaac in it, um, which is what I told everybody um, when I said it was it was good. It was fun. Now, so it's interesting because um, there came a point in my life where I, I had watched Star Wars as a kid, like over and over and over, because my dad was really, really into it. And when I got older and I started to have a better critical eye, I got into so many fights with so many people because I believe the Lord of the Rings movie trilogy is like the greatest movie trilogy of all time. And I got, like I said, so many confrontations over saying how it was better than Star Wars. And I think that as far as films go, I think Star Wars are like, like the first Star Wars film for me is like a nine out of 10 movie. Um, but a lot of that just has to do with the simple storytelling structure and just how well it pulls all it pulls itself off. Um, you know, you watch it back today and it's it, it, it works because of its story still. The special effects and uh, kind of the <laughs> what, what looks to be like really just like campy, um, campy acting to a certain degree. And like everything else just seems to just it's just not it doesn't like reek of quality, you know, t per se. Empire Strikes Back, better film overall, 10 out of 10 film. Um, and then Return of the Jedi is like, you know, not what I was expecting. Even as a kid, I didn't really like Return of the Jedi. Um, and the Ewoks were one one problem to do with that. But listen, the, the bottom line I'm trying to say is that I don't think the Star Wars original trilogy is perfect. But the nostalgia factor... Uh, definitely creeps in a lot because it is something from my childhood. It's the same reason why anything that uh, is nostalgia um, gets everybody really excited. It's the reason why the It trailer became the most watched trailer uh, of all time in the first 24 hours. You know what I mean? Because that's a film that people remember. So it's a reason or why... people are just really afraid of clowns. and That too. So to I'll throw another one out there. It's a, it's a reason why Stranger Things became very popular on Netflix. There, there was a nostalgia fa uh, factor to it. 
we, we kind of get that hearkening uh, back to our childhood with something like Star Wars. And so when Force Awakens came out, I really appreciated the technical level of it all in terms of really everything. You know, art direction, costume, sound, you know, John Williams' score. You know, the fact that it was entertaining. It was whipped fast in terms of its pacing. The characters were actually memorable compared to the prequels where they were just atrociously boring. And the story made logical sense. And the only thing I'd say that did hold that film back a little bit was its story in that it kind of was, hey, listen, we're not the prequels. We want you to know that. So we're going to just kind of rehash the original plot of A New Hope and just retell that story beat for beat for beat. And listen, I know that that's been said a lot by a lot of people, so I'm not going to harp on it too, too much there. But now, now. We have The Last Jedi being directed by Ryan Johnson, who did the very underappreciated, very solid movie Looper, um, and also quite possibly the best Breaking Bad episode of all time, which if you've ever watched Breaking Bad, listeners, the best Breaking Bad episode ever in that final season, that was directed by this guy. So let's check out the trailer. things that work about it it's john williams score that operatic you know epic choir-esque you know booming loud score that just gives the whole thing this um really big feel to it that makes it seem like it's monumental in a way because for a lot of people it is so i think that for someone like myself that you know views this as oh my god this is the hot thing right now that's on the web and everybody's gonna be talking about this the music really, really helps that along to give it that qual- uh, that that kind of um, epic quality. And then the other thing too is, my God, you can't deny that some of the cinematography and, and some of the shots here are absolutely beautiful. It looks like space. <laughs> but we weren't on space. We were on an island for uh, a lot of it. I uh, mean, yeah, I, I, 
it, again, the, I have no doubt that the movie looks gorgeous. I mean, it definitely has some eye-striking imagery. But, I mean, there's no story, really, to be had here. We don't really know what the story is. This is more like, hey, listen, Star Wars is coming. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, again, it looks very Star Wars-esque. Yeah, well, because also, too, I think they also, um, even though there's a different cinematographer, different director, you know, J.J. Abrams is not uh, back in the director's chair, uh, there does seem to be a little bit of a visual continuity. Um, And also, too, this film... I don't know if it's just the imagery from the cave and the island, but the overall aesthetics look a little bit darker, which is appropriate. Um, I mean, it's got the ominous title, The Last Jedi. The title, Star Wars, is written in red instead of yellow. I mean, shit's going to hit the fan in this film. You know, your beloved Poe, Oscar Isaac, uh, he might be donezo. We don't know, you know. Don't you dare say that. Hey, we don't know. This is a totally original property right now that is being developed. And Ryan Johnson wrote and directed this movie. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. Have you ever seen Brick with Joseph Gordon Lovett? I, I love Brick. You know that this guy can write. Yes. So, I mean, I'm just like really excited to see... Uh, what he brings to this story at this point in the three-act story that they're telling over the course of uh, three films. All I know is Oscar Isaac dies. My Star Wars interest is going to begin and end with this film. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I to, to be fair, I don't think that that will happen. Um, but there's another thing uh, revolving around this too, um, is that also Carrie Fisher... Uh, did complete her work for this film. So everything about her performance in this uh, will be fine. And we're not going to have to worry about digital alteration or anything like that. Which I just, I think an article literally just came out that said that she will have a very, they're going to cut the majority of her scenes. In this upcoming film? Or Or in the final one? Oh, excuse me. I think they meant nine. Yeah, that's what I think, too, because I did see an article that did say that they were going to use old archival footage and also, yes, cut a majority of her scenes. I really I feel I feel I feel terrible for the fact that like I like I just outside of the fact that she's no longer with us, I I do feel bad for the filmmakers and that you have a planned idea of how to tell what is three of the biggest movies of all time and something like this tragically happens and you have to then change it. And it's obviously less ideal, but hell, you know what? Uh, f- uh, what was that? Furious seven with Paul Walker, they made it work. So I'm sure, uh, you know, I'm sure with all the billions of dollars that, uh, Lucasfilm and all of them have, I'm sure they can make it work too. Right? Sure. <laughs> all righty. So let's move over into news of the week. Hey guys, this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at IncessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. 
News of the week time. Uh, what do we got here? We have quite a lot, actually. Um, too much. Uh, Bill Condon, who uh, recently directed uh, Beauty and the Beast, who uh, we have kind of like a love-hate relationship here on the podcast with, uh, he is in talks right now to helm The Bride of Frankenstein for Universal Pictures. Um, it will be a remake um, for Universal Pictures' Monster Universe. Um, and he has said in interviews that uh, it is one of his favorite classic monster movies of all time. The original, which starred... Um, Elsa uh, Lanchester and Boris Karloff was directed by James Whale back in 1935. So, one, how do you feel about a remake idea of The Bride of Frankenstein? Two, how do you feel with a director uh, such as Bill Condon after seeing something like Beauty and the Beast? How do you feel about him taking on such a property? A, we don't need to remake this. Stop it. It's perfect as it is. B, I didn't like Beauty and the Beast. It was bloated but beautiful so the original bride of frankenstein is i think uh about an hour 30 and it's already beautiful so i'm assuming what we're gonna get from bill condon is a two and a half hour opus about why you know the bride of frankenstein is mean i'm assuming um i'm not excited for this i love the original bride of frankenstein it's my favorite frankenstein movie and I don't think we need to remake it. <laughs> no matter who it is. They could say Scorsese's remaking it, and I'd still be upset. I, I would actually watch that version, but yeah, I agree with you for the most part. Uh, Noah Baumbach uh, has uh, secretly been making uh, a film over the last year, uh, Myra Witt's uh, Stories New and Selected, uh, starring Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, Emma Thompson, Dustin Hoffman, in an, and it has been uh, picked up by Netflix. Uh, the synopsis for this movie is the film tells the story of an estranged New York family coming together in preparation of artist and patriarch Harold's career retrospective. Um, are you a Noah Bobbach uh, fan? No. I'd like the squid and the whale. Uh, he did Francis Ha, right? Yes. That's I like that one, but I think that might be due more to Greta Gerwig than him. Yeah, I, I think so too, to a certain degree. Um, so you really have no interest here. Um, I, again, I've only ever seen Francis Ha, so uh, okay, maybe, that, maybe I'm missing the wrong movies. Um, I mean, yeah, no, I, I, I kind of, I kind of agree with you on this. Uh, you should check out The Squid and the Whale if you have a chance. I've, I've been told to, so it's on, it's on my list. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, as soon as I saw Adam Sandler was attached, I immediately had a moment of, well, maybe Noah Bomba can get a good performance out of, stop it, stop it, stop it. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Nope. 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 Yeah. Just, just stop it. That ship just, is set Just sail. a reminder that Adam Sandler's new movie is now available to stream on Netflix. I'm, I am staying away, staying away so much. All right, uh, Jude Law uh, has been cast to play young Dumbledore in the Fantastic Beast sequel. We so missed an opportunity to cast Jared Harris. Like that, pretty much just wrote itself. Like, Jude Law, really? Um, I'm assuming he'll be replaced by Johnny Depp at a certain point. Uh. Wait, what do you mean? Did you see Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them? Oh, yeah, no, I did. Yeah, at the end, with spoiler alert, Colin Farrell oh. is essentially Johnny Depp. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I, I understand. I, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I, that, I, was my, that was my jokey, but don't bump. Okay, didn't, it didn't land for me. I apologize. <laughs> um, it's because you're the worst, Matt. I know, I know. So, he's, you know, he, Jude Law goes from playing the young Pope to uh, the young wizard. The young Dumbledore. Yep. 
And now, I'm if he played Dumbledore like he played the young Pope, we might be in for something fun. That would be a freaking awesome. <laughs> exactly. If he was like Harry Potter, I need a Coke Zero right now. Oh my God! What kind of a dog is that? It's mine. Hold on. Let me close the door. I didn't think he was gonna flip out when my mom got home. Hold on. Give me like ten seconds. Yeah. And this will be a good moment to play a commercial. Hey everyone, I'm Jason. And I'm Lee. And we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh. New releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty, or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. All right, cool. All right, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let the games begin. All right, what else do we have here? Um, Margot Robbie, Domino Gleeson, uh, we know are uh, starring in a Winnie the Pooh uh, offer A.A. Milne uh, biopic. And so Winnie the Pooh, basically, kind of like Finding Neverland, is going to be brought to the big screen ultimately here. Um it's going to be focusing mostly on the coming age, coming of age of uh, Milne's son, uh, Christopher Robin. Uh, production is officially underway, uh, which we already know. There have been some photos that have made their way onto the internet, and it's being directed by Simon Curtis, who did My Week with Marilyn and Woman in Gold. So I don't know if... I mean, it seems to me like this could be a medium Oscar contender as opposed to a heavy hitter Oscar contender in, in that case. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, you brought up Finding Neverland. I think the comparisons there are pretty much point for point the same. So right. I'm assuming this will be cute. Um, you know, I, I like Finding Neverland. It it hit me in the feels. Um, I haven't seen it since it came out, though, and Johnny Depp's kind of a garbage person now. But, you know, I remember really enjoying it. So I, I'm assuming that I'll like this. I, I like Donald Gleason and pretty much everything I've seen him in. Uh, Margot Robbie, I love her so much. So I'm interested to see this uh, delightful story about the making of the story where a lonely child, you know, has hallucinations about morbidly obese teddy bears and a depressed donkey. That, that just sounded like the best drug trip ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's essentially what what the the Winnie the Pooh stories are. Yeah, yeah, basically. Which I just kind of stole that from John Oliver in a way, so please don't accredit me with coming up with something that smart. A twenty four, the king, right now, in my opinion, as far as film studios are concerned, um, they have set Colin Farrell's Killing of a Sacred Deer uh, for a November release, which is uh, being uh, written directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, who previously collaborated with him on The Lobster. The film is also starring Nicole Kidman. It's going to make its uh, world premiere at Cannes, and it will be uh, coming out in limited release on November 3rd. Let me say that title one more time. The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Dear God, like, this is a psychological revenge thriller Um where uh, Colin Farrell is on a board as a successful surgeon who attempts to interrogate a teenager in, uh, in interrogate integrate a teenager into his family, but when the teen's actions grow increasingly sinister, the doctor is forced to make an unthinkable sacrifice. So, yeesh. Is Colin Farrell fat in this again? 
I don't know exactly. Okay. But I will um, say this, though. The, the title, <laughs> The Killing of a Sacred Deer, and that plot synopsis, and the fact that this is by the same guy that gave us Dogtooth. I, I haven't seen Dogtooth, but I really enjoyed The Lobster, and I want to see Dogtooth because I've heard it's great. Um, I'm in. I mean, I'll go where Colin Farrell goes. Um, it's funny how him and Nicole Kidman have two movies that they're starring exactly. together. Exactly. They're like my super new power couple. Um... So I'll, I'll go where he goes, barring he's not, like, grossly unattractive. Um, and this, the plot sounds fantastic. I, I'm in, I'm all for, like, weird, this sounds like a great, like, 90s erotic thriller throwback to, like, The Crush, um, which I enjoy stuff like that. So I'm in. I'm in. Fun times. Uh, and a piece of news that I'm really excited about, uh, Christian Bale, set to play Dick Cheney in Adam McKay's uh, biopic film which he's following up the big short with you and michael i think are, i i don't know the excitement for this well okay so adam mckay is a director that i always found to be um adequate when it came to making comedy films never on my radar as far as oscar consideration was ever concerned the big short was a surprise uh in many ways for a lot of people but you could tell that he was very, very passionate about the subject matter, um, so much so that he continues to talk about it uh, to this day in many ways. Now that he's tackling um, and uh, another subject matter that kind of veers closely, in a way, um, to what The Big Short uh, had to say uh, about, you know, this film here, um, this follow-up, ultimately, uh, I, 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 I now have expectations. Let's put it that way. You know, I... I, I, I think that, you know, maybe he's taking a new career path. Um, I'm at the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I love, I, I like Adam McKay when he was making, you know, Will Ferrell comedies. Um, Talladega Nights is a really fun movie that I still quote way too fervently in my house. Um, <laughs> I hated The Big Short. Hated it. I, I hated it. Um... So I am not liking this uh, political bent that Adam McKay's on, mostly because Hollywood hasn't really cracked the political story in terms of looking at the Bush administration with any type of something that doesn't pass for silliness. Um, you know, I, I think of I think of <laughs> w. All these, I think of W exactly, which is essentially just a SNL skit for you know two hours with Josh Brolin in it. Um, which is still a sore point in my household that I made people go see that with me. Um, but we haven't really cracked how we want to talk about the Bush administration. And for a lot of people, you know, who, who lived through that, like me um, and you as well, Matt, I just don't, I hate to say too soon, but I don't think we've really simmered on it enough to really say something satirical about it, especially since we're living in a time that is going to make the Bush administration look like great times, like happy days are here again. Um, so the Dick Cheney thing, again, we know he's like the mastermind. We know he's an asshole. We know he's pretty much like, and I'm going to say this with my liberal feminist attitude, like the living incarnation of evil. Um, so I don't really know what the point of do doing the story is um, for McKay. So I'm I'm not on the bandwagon. I love the cast he's assembled. I love Christian Bale. I love Amy Adams. But I don't think we've we've gone far enough away yet to say 
what the Bush administration did to us, what it's still doing to us, what, you know, I don't think we've, we've kind of given enough time to history to essentially say something because we're repeating it only like 30 times worse now. Okay. And now for our last bit here, uh, we have our second trailer to discuss, and it is the trailer uh, for Catherine Bigelow's uh, follow-up film to The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Dirty. This here is Detroit. Hello. Oh, everything is fine. No trouble here. I'll sleep when they stop riding. Hey, fellas. DM going to that grocery store across the street. I come bearing gifts. Thank you. You got any sugar? Nah, don't push it, man. It's a war zone out there. They're destroying the city. Whoa, hey, y'all seeing this? Hey, look, we're not too far from the Algiers. Let's just go there until all this blows over. When you're black, it's almost like having a gun pointed at your face. It's like this. Hey, boy. What you doing on my street? Get that gun off me. A what? You shoot it. Oh man. It's just a It just starts racing. Army taking fire. Trash fire, trash fire. Near the Algiers Motel. Hey y'all, there's a bunch of police outside right now. Let's not be stupid in this situation. You need to tell me where the gun is. I got all night, people. Tell me exactly what is going on here. I need you to survive the night. Think we're bluffing? We don't bluff. Okay, I'm gonna just come right out and say it. I think this is a very terrible trailer, but I still have high expectations for the movie. <laughs> I'm I'm mixed. I'm mixed. I will agree. The trailer is not great. Um, God forbid you don't know about the '67 Detroit riots because you're not gonna learn anything here. Um, you know, it's it's very hard not to make this look like something like the trailer for Selma. Um, but it does. And it yep. doesn't really work as well. Um, Thank God it wasn't like the Pepsi commercial. That's all I'm saying. Oh my gosh, yes, yes. Um, there's been a lot of backlash for this movie. And I think we're going to see a lot more as December or August rolls around. Um, you know, there's well, there's been a... Oh, because on. it looks predictable in many ways. It looks predictable. There was talk about, you know, the lack of black women in this movie. Um the lack of the fact that Catherine Bigelow is a white woman. And I, I, I love the fact that they gave something like this to Catherine Bigelow. But yeah, it is tragic that we couldn't find a black female director. They do exist um, to tell the story. So, you know, people are going to be looking at her very closely for kind of a white privilege, even if it's subconscious kind of narrative to peek through. Mm -hmm. If we gave Tarantino shit about Django, we're going to get it like 20, 20 times harder for Bigelow. Um, but I do love Catherine Bigelow. I love Catherine Bigelow. So I'm excited to see it. Um, again, this is a, a story that has so much 
connection to what's going on today. We have yeah. not changed at all since 1967. We're just a little, you know, more subtle about it. Um, so I'm cautiously optimistic if they can get the marketing and if they can come out in front of the backlash and just say, hey, we're limited. I would love for them to just be like, we're limited by Hollywood at this point. We'd love to get a black woman to direct this, but you're lucky you got a white woman at this point. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I would, I'm interested to see how the campaign for this develops. But yeah, that trailer, again, I know about the 67 Detroit riots, but you know, a, a 18 year old guy who sees this is not going to have any knowledge of like why this movie is, is important. So the film is set to come out August 4th. Yes. Um, the, the Hell or High Water uh, slot. Yes. Could do well. Um, here's what's got me pretty excited. Uh, written by Mark Bull. Yes. Who wrote The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Dirty. Cinematographer Barry Aykroyd. Cinematographer on Zero Dark Dirty and The Hurt Locker. Oh, no, wait. I'm sorry. He didn't do Zero Dark Dirty. He just did The Hurt Locker. Uh, Zero Dark Dirty was um, Greg Frazier. Um was his name actually? Yeah, Craig Frazier uh, was the was the one. Uh, you have a, you have a cast here where you're right. I don't see any um, female um, female black actors, but well rounded cast though. John Boyega, Jack Renor, um, Hannah Murray, Anthony Mackie, John Krasinski, who's not even in the trailer. Interesting. Oh, I didn't know this was a Krasinski film. That changes a little bit for me. <laughs> Uh, William Goldenberg is doing the editing. You know, he edited uh, Zero Dark Dirty as well. You know, so it's like she's got her crew together. You know what I mean? She's got a good cast. Mark Bull has proven himself as a screenwriter. Won the Oscar for The Hurt Locker. Nominated for Zero Dark Dirty. Should have won for Zero Dark Dirty, in my opinion. I mean, I think everything is here. Annapurna uh, is actually handling all of the marketing for this film and the distribution. This is the first time that they're doing this. And this is the first film that they're doing it for. So I hope that the trailer, um, and also too, have you seen the poster? Yes, I believe I have. Yeah, Detroit's written sideways oh, uh, yeah. in red letters. Uh, it just I'm not sure if the way this film is being marketed is going to do it any favors. But my hope is that it lowers people's expectations that when they actually see the film, they're like, well, geez, this was a film, you know, directed by Catherine Bigelow, written by Mark Bull. Of course, this was always going to be good. Does anybody remember when they made Battle in Seattle? I remember uh, Battle, <laughs> Battle not, for Los Yeah, Angeles. not Battle LA. No, Battle in <laughs> Seattle, which was about, um, what was it? It was about the G8 summit um, and the riots that, that happened there. And it had a similar... I, I kept watching the trailer for this, and I saw so many similarities to that movie, um, which was fine, but it was not anything special. Obviously, I'm the only one that remembers it. So, yeah, and I think it had a similar poster in terms of... that's That was kind of the thing I, I saw when I looked at the trailer for this. It seems like something that would come from a lower-budget studio or would be like a... a like an ABC movie or something. It's got a very weird quality to it in the marketing so far that they need to really step up to make it feel cinematic. It's also very brown, like cinematography-wise. You know, dark. Like and grimdark? We got DC grimdark going on here. Yeah, we got like a, like a very muddy, even though there's no mud, look to the film. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I, I did have to giggle 
because Will Poulter gets the last line in this in this movie, mm. and I just kept giggling. I was like, "You were the guy that got bit by the tarantula, and we're the Millers, kid. I can't take you seriously." <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, I just always say, "Hey, you're you're that guy with the weird eyebrows." Um. <laughs> Either way, not the thoughts you should be thinking at the end of this trailer. No, no, not at all. Uh, just simply that he's uh, coming off as trying to be threatening, you know, in the trailer. And I really just thought it was kind of stereotypical and I didn't buy him in that kind of role. Maybe because I'm seeing Will Poulter and I, I, I think I would have um, bought into it more if it was an unknown actor, which is something that I feel like it might be a criticism already without me even seeing the film. I would I would like to watch this movie with all unknown actors, even though the cast is um, relatively unknown to a vast majority of people out there in the world. Um John Boyega is the biggest name just because of Star Wars. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's impossible. I mean, you you bring up what a what a unknown cast would look like. I kept thinking, what would this have looked like if Ava DuVernay had made it? You know that that was something else that I brought up. This I think is a, it would look relatively the same. I think it would look relatively the same. But does that help that? Catherine Bigelow is trying to make a Ava DuVernay film as opposed to a Catherine Bigelow film. Like that's the thing. Well, We're, maybe that's the mar- maybe that's the marketing again. It though. could be the marketing. I think that the movie is going to have it's gonna be on a knife's edge because with the way we are as a country right now politically regarding race, I just this movie's either going to help or reinforce. You know, there's really no no middle ground. I'd love for it to do well because I love Catherine Bigelow. But there are so many moments where I'm just kind of taken aback, like, eh, the decision making here is not helping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, especially in that, like, scene with Jason Mitchell, uh, where yeah. they're, like, firing off, like, the fake gun. It just comes off as, like, hokey, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, uh, listen, fingers crossed, nothing but the best. I mean, it's been so many years now since Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, what was that, 2012? It's been five yeah. years, you know? I, I can't wait that long for another Catherine Bigelow film. So I, I do wish, as much as I love her making these politically charged movies, I do miss the Catherine Bigelow of, like, genre cinema. Like, I miss mm. I miss near-dark Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, she, she probably just has to move away from Mark Bull then, you know? Oh, that's true, that's true. But, I mean, they have two films that have been a success for them so That's, far, yeah. so why stop? Can't complain. No. Alrighty, with that said, uh, we are going to be getting out of here. Kristen, do you have anything else you want to say before we leave? Um, We got some good movie reviews coming up uh, in the next yeah. week, if only because I've seen some very interesting movies of late. I will yeah. just leave that as a tease. <laughs> yeah. All right. All righty. Um, I'm actually watching uh, A Quiet Passion. Uh, oh, I watched this... that the other day. Yeah, I'm watching it this weekend. So, um, um, be a... Really pay attention because if you get flummoxed by ye old-timey dialogue, um, <laughs> it's going to take you a couple of minutes. Really? They okay. really commit. It's beautiful prose, but for me, it's like an, me as an English major – it works for me. I'm sure if I watched this with somebody who didn't, you know, like the English language, they'd be like, oh, my God, this movie's going to be hell. Um, well, listen, as long as I'm not bored, that's all I care about. Uh, oh, I will shit. Be inter- I will be interested to hear your take because I'm Alrighty. just I'm trying to think of like the Matt Neglia perspective. And I'm just I'm uh, not let's put it this way. Costume dramas, period costume dramas yes. are not my specialty. How do you uh, feel about like something denser than like Ang Lee's? sense and sensibility denser denser you've been listening to the next <laughs> 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 <laughs>
podcast. Oh my god. Oof. You can find Kristen on Twitter at journeys underscore film, where she'll be laughing at me probably for the next couple of days, I'm sure, um, after I tweet my reactions to that film, uh, where I can be found on Twitter at next best picture. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening to this episode uh, 34 of the podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM. Be sure to also leave us a review on iTunes. We would certainly appreciate it. Your feedback is really, really valued. Uh, Unless you it's shitty a... feedback, and then we don't want it. And listen, <laughs> should, we, should we get some positive feedback, we will read it out loud uh, on the podcast and give you a great shout-out as well. So please, please, please let us know. Uh, we would really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening, and we will see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.